Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the curious endings of people, places, and things. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. I'm Victor. Yay! (laughs) We have uh, Victor Arteaga back to talk to us partly about his upcoming book release and also partly to talk to us about werewolves and where werewolves go. So Victor, could you tell us a little bit, we spoke in a previous episode about where stress goes Mm -hmm. as you're a licensed massage therapist, but you're also an author. So can you Mm -hmm. tell us about your upcoming book? So my upcoming book uh, is called Unrest and it is about a pardoned uh, war criminal who is a werewolf living in a segregated section of an underground moon city run by a corporate vampire-led security firm. I mean, that's that is like... so badass. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that's basically it. She's, bas- she's just trying to kind of live her life and then out of the blue, she gets a message from her cousin and then everything just kind of goes sideways. So where, so you said on the moon, but where do yep. werewolves go in your book, Unrest? So they go... Um, to work mostly. <laughs> They're just like um, us. Yeah, I mean that that was large. The biggest issue, the biggest thing that I wanted to do with werewolves was was really kind of talk a little bit more about the pedestrian side of what it would be like to be one in society after they'd been outed, so to speak. So um, they started in the shadows of myth and legend, and then they were forcefully expelled from that. Uh, during an ill-fated mission to the moon. And from there, they went to being public enemy number one, uh, to being a persecuted minority, and then ultimately wind up as sort of self-made refugees on the moon. So that's where they go in my book. Uh, And then from there, they go to work. They keep most of the city running, kind of, you know, the unsung heroes of making sure that everything runs smoothly, people get served well. My main character is a bar manager at a hotel, you know, so... Uh, and then from there, I won't tell you more <laughs> because you'll have to read the book. <laughs> it's it's well worth the read. I just finished it today. It's a hell of a book. It's quite an adventure. Yeah, it's, it's it was a lot of fun to write. A lot of really important topics that I tackle in that book. So I know before you talked about when we were talking to you about stress, mm-hmm. you were talking about the werewolves and you're you're you were really interested in talking about the like working people and actual real problems that they had, but also set into this kind of fantasy uh, sci-fi kind of realm. I really appreciated that. So the book, yeah, sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it touches a lot of what my experience has been like, right? Being um, Hispanic, especially when I moved from Washington, uh, from Florida to Washington, you know, it was a really weird kind of shift in Florida. Latino people, there were kind of everywhere there. And then when I moved to Washington, we moved into like one of the really white suburbs. So I mm-hmm. got firsthand experience of what it's like to kind of be the other. Um, so, and that was a really important theme for me to touch on in this book, especially since I've grown up and, you know, I had neo-Nazis call me by racial slurs. I've had security follow me through malls and kick me out of stores and things like that. I've had cops pull their guns on me. I've had people, you know, then you get the, the quiet sort of understated little side kind of microaggressive comments of, Oh, 
you speak Spanish and you're Hispanic, but you're so intelligent and well-spoken. Like oh, no. that kind of thing, right? What? Yeah, I got, I got that from clients last year. So, no. you know, p- distilling all of that and kind of telling that from a fiction point of view was really important to me when I set out to write this book. And then on top of that, being an alcoholic and I haven't gone through recovery, you know, that, that's just another layer of struggle that I, I also felt was important to talk about in the book. Like, um, I don't know if Emily, you caught on to it, but there's very little romanticiz- romanticization. Is that right? Yeah. Of alcoholism. Like you see it a lot in uh, TV and movies, you know, uh, the, the tortured alcoholic who drinks a bunch, but is ultimately, you know, a person with a heart of gold, but, and it's all very glamorous and sort of, I'd romanticize and I wanted to do the opposite of that. I wanted to show what the reality of being a heavy drinker is like. It was Most of it is, is really just being angry, drunk, and asleep. Mm-hmm. It was breathtaking the amount your main character could drink, which I, I get is partially because she's a werewolf, but it was because I get dizzy and sick if I drink. So mm-hmm. I was I just I. sort of thinking about how much alcohol she was consuming mm-hmm. and just... Whew, um, that's the really, you want to know what the frightening thing is, is I didn't embellish the amount that she drank. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that was kind of what it was like for me when I was at my peak of drinking. That's how much I was drinking on a regular basis. Like I would go to work, I'd go to lunch, I'd have a shot and a beer in the half hour, 45 minutes that I had, and I'd go back to work. And that was like a daily thing. Then I'd go home and drink some more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. I mean, it's tolerance. Yeah. And she's got a lot of it. Yeah. She's real angry. <laughs> so yeah that was about it um a lot of real world things that i wanted to talk about and especially uh the other bit was um you know something that is not necessarily directly related to me but much more of a cultural thing for my heritage is you know the colonization of people uh and so there's a passage in the book where i kind of touch specifically on what it's like to kind of be part of that group that mm-hmm. gets conquered, so to speak, right? So you, you see all of the, the structures that are built around you um, without understanding, you know, all of the sacrifice and the pain and death and genocide that went to making it happen, right? Most people only see, you know, the, the finished product, right? Like Texas, for example, you know? <laughs> yep, that's a great example. <laughs> without understanding that there, there were a lot of people killed to make that happen. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that, the ghosts of those people are still there. So the essence of those people are still there and they're largely forgotten. And so um, th- that was another point that I wanted to make with the book was that there are two sides to any given situation. And most often the one that more people know are the ones told by the people who won and not so much by what, it, what it's like to have lost. And so that was another thing that I wanted to do. With the book so why werewolves ah it's actually very silly good i was having a conversation with a client of mine during a session and as a joke kind of prompt she goes so victor i need you to settle a debate for me and i go okay she goes what would happen if you put a werewolf on the moon and then i was like what do you mean and she says well would you would it transform or would it just be normal if you put it on the moon? And uh, 
this book, the entire collection of short stories and the bi-weekly series <laughs> of Evelyn is the answer to that question, basically. <laughs> uh, the answer I gave her then was, it depends on what part of the moon you put them. If they're on the dark side of the moon, then nothing happens. But if you put them on the light side of the moon, then they will transform. And that's just, and then I just kind of followed that to its logical conclusion, which obviously is underground cities on the moon and space elevators and corporate security vampires. Obviously. Obviously. I can't, I can't fault it. I mean, right. I mean, it was just, (laughs) I just constantly was like, okay, well, how are they surviving on the moon? First of all, how do they get there? And then what would have had to happen in the world to make that possible? And that's, that's how I got there. And werewolves, I feel, have always kind of been the, uns, the, the underdogs of the supernatural world, I think. Most people, <clears throat> most fiction that I've seen uh, and read have kind of made werewolves out to be the more mm, primal, uh, unsophisticated kind of anti-hero slash villains. Mm-hmm. If you think about most really popular f- fiction that involves both of them, you'll find vampires come out as being the enviable ones. They're the the wealthy. They're the the glamorous. They got pretty much everything going for them. And it was a really interesting thing that I did with my Twitter once was I posted, if you could be one or the other, which would you choose? And I kind of left it vague on purpose. And vampires won by a surprising margin. And so that just kind of tracks with everything that I've felt in my life as being kind of the underdog, right? So I guess that's why I I resonate more with werewolves and why I wanted to make them the central focus as kind of the counterbalance to the standard vampire narrative of them being the ones you want to be. And they're kind of a universal concept too. It seems like every human culture has some kind of shapeshifter like a werewolf. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, that's a really, it's a really interesting observation and one I hadn't really thought about before until recently. And, you know, I've been trying to think about why, why it is such a universal concept. And I think with vampires, immortality is, is I think the leading drive to, to having such a common theme, right? I mean, we've got, Nobody really wants to die. Everyone's scared of death. Nobody knows what comes after it, right? And so you've got all these mythos about vampires or something similar to them about living forever. That that makes a lot more intrinsic sense to me. Werewolves are the one that threw me through a loop, actually, and that whole shape-shifting thing. And I guess I, I don't... I, I can only surmise that people felt uh, the need or desire to change themselves in some way, to be something bigger or better than what they are. And I think maybe that might be a reason why these myths tend to be such a staple. I think everyone wants, wants to feel that, that power to be able to change, to get in and out of situations, or even to just, you know, experience something different or magical for a minute. And I think that's what those myths wind up doing for them. That's well, what it does for me. There's also, I, I think, I feel like it has to be related to animism as well. Like it, when you eat a po- body part mm. of an animal and that's very common in different cultures, you get that power. And so I, I wonder if it's related, like if you eat a part or if it bites you, that seems to be a common theme throughout shape-shifting myths. 
That's true. I, I think that uh, that's more intrinsic to a lot of different kind of religious cultures too. Like the Inca mm-hmm. used to believe that if you ate, you know, parts of your enemy, then you would gain the power that that part gave you. Like mm-hmm. you eat their eyes and you would gain sight of the, over them. You would gain, you eat their heart and you would gain the, the power over them. But it wouldn't surprise me if it all tied together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be really, that would be a really interesting thing to look more deeply into. Well, and I did a little research about where the, not a lot of research, but a little bit of research about uh, where werewolves as a concept went. So not, I, I, I didn't dive deep into the actual, like, what is a werewolf? Who defined it as what, when and why and how? Mm-hmm. Because it's variable and I don't know, it changes over time, but it, it's, it seems to be half and half of either earning power Mm-hmm. or being punished particular specifically for werewolves and then also with yeah. with vampire uh, vampirism because they actually they sort of link together eventually in human history mm-hmm. uh, but and then they separate again because we're really good at <laughs> recycling concepts <laughs> vampirism was almost always a punishment or a really bad thing and it's it's truly only since like Bram Stoker thought Dracula was kind of kind of weirdly sexy that. <laughs> uh, well, that that just there's a lot to unpack there. I think <laughs> Bram Stoker's personal tastes are very interesting. He wrote hmm. he wrote like a thirty page letter to Walt Whitman once. Yeah, I've heard about this. And it was just a it was just a fan letter, and mm-hmm. it would like described how Bram Stoker looked and about how much he loved Walt Whitman's writing and stuff. And oh. yeah, there's just a lot you could read into that too. But, <laughs> he sent uh, him his, Twitter, his Tinder profile. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He hand wrote his yeah, own he dating profile. His, his grinder profile. Uh, so. And then it, circling, I mean, like to, to come back to the idea of punishment with shape-shifting, right? I mean, we see that the most, the one that sprung to mind immediately was, I think it was Calypso that transformed all of Odysseus's men into pigs. pigs. Yeah. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. And usually it's not a, a thing that the person can reverse or that is reversed mm-hmm. in a timely manner. It's usually for about like seven to 10 years, which doesn't sound like much now, but we also live in the age of antibiotics and- Right. Yeah. Uh, obstetrics and things like that yeah. <laughs> basic well, sanitation I, I'm, I'm going on what three weeks in quarantine and i'm losing my mind so mm-hmm. i mean just imagine seven years yeah yeah no <laughs> i should nope, oh, i man. don't want to imagine that no. i should do an episode about anchorites are you guys familiar with that concept at all mm-hmm. there's really interesting so i don't know <laughs> how many cultures do it but i know christianity it happened a lot especially early early christianity and early middle ages uh, and it was people would wall themselves into a cell adjacent to a monastery or a uh, nunnery and they would be fed either by the public or by people in the monastery or nunnery and they'd be provided with like reading material sometimes and stuff and they would just sort of pray until they died. Okay, that's some hardcore. Yeah. Like fandom. Yeah, it was not common. Well, it was common in that it was cons- considered like a point in the favor of the monastery or nunnery. 
or the Abbey or wherever. We're talking yeah. Catholicism, right? So oh, this is for like, sure. Oh, so this <laughs> is like, like a cathedral oh, right. would All be right. like, hey, I'm a flex on you because I had X amount of people pray till they died right next to our walls. Yeah, or the more famous, you'd usually only have one or maybe two, but they, they'd be the more famous ones, the ones people came to see. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, I mean, that's what you want to do with your life. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, that's, I mean, it, it, that's another, because if you think about it, you're probably not going to live an especially long time like that because you have, it's exposure pr- practically. Mm-hmm. You have right, yeah. walls, but not nice walls. Uh, so anyway, the, yeah, the seven to nine years would be a chunk of your lifetime for sure. Yeah. Definitely. I'd rather write a 30 page letter to Walt Whitman. <laughs> Just I feel like that would actually be fun, though. It would. I mean, Walt Whitman was really cool. He was, was he? an I don't know much interesting character. Yes, he was. He was, he was an audacious man. Yes, hmm. he was. He was a wanderer. He loved walking. He walked everywhere. He talked about how much he loved walking. He was he was really pretty cool. He loved was, plants. He was a wandering eccentric character. Yeah. Loved men. Way yes. into dudes. Yes, very much, very much. So they, so Walt Whitman and Bram Stoker totally hooked up. Maybe if they even met, I don't even know if they met. I should look that up. Well, I know that. I think I remember reading a meme at least about how Walt Whitman actually wrote him back. Oh, that would have made Aww. him so happy. Yeah, <laughs> can't remember what it is exactly that the uh, meme said, but yeah. Aww. It looks like Bram Stoker wrote a what you would call a love letter to Walt Whitman. Aww. Yeah. Did they ever meet? Oh, you can actually read it. Yeah. I've read parts of it. I felt rude. It's super long. Yeah, it's really <laughs> long. That's like as long as my senior <clears throat> thesis in sociology. And after about five pages, I just tried to find the same way to say like the same thing over and over again like how do you have 30 pages to like this is what I look like and I really like you and mm-hmm. you know how do you do that I don't I don't know I I, I could probably do it <laughs> I could probably do it too <laughs> but then I, mean, I, I could do it a- if I was writing a book about something but I feel like I've written like five page responses to a Facebook comment. So like, <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> that's true. That's true. I haven't thought about it in that. It's like before social media. So you had to get it all down because it's going to mm-hmm. be another month before you could write another one. <laughs> exactly. Well, and Bram Stoker could write. Uh, I have yet to finish reading Dracula. I must admit, Isn't I've tried like to, to read it like four or, or five it's times. crazy. It's like I a was in a play or something. You were in a play of Dracula? Mm-hmm, of Bram Stoker's Dracula. I played a, uh, an asylum assistant that dies. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, Renfield flipped me over his shoulder and snapped my neck. It was fun. Oh, no. Yeah, I have to thank the author Kim Newman for properly summarizing Dracula so that I actually knew how it ended because I've yet to finish <laughs> Uh, I I think my first education for Bram Stoker's Dracula was actually the movie uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Yeah, yeah Mel Mel Brooks, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I'm not a vampire fan, so I hate vampire I stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, I was really into them for a while, but then I was also like your fairly stereotypical goth teen for, for a little mm-hmm. bit. So I was way into that whole aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Like I was all about Anne Rice's vampire books. Ooh, I can't read them. Yeah. I don't know They're if I could again. saucy. Yeah. They're like the, what, which florid. one is the... <laughs> Lestat? No. The Vampire Lestat? That no. Ooh, that was my favorite one. Armand. The, there was like a book about Armand mm-hmm. too and it, I was like, who? <laughs> she wrote some uh, Sleeping Beauty erotica fan fiction somewhat she's, recently. She's definitely an, she was an erotica okay. writer, that's for sure. And also a fan, you know, fan fiction about Jesus Christ, so. Yeah, oh, I, I think, about that. yeah. She's um she's got the range. Yeah. Like she wrote a book, The Queen of the Damned. And it wasn't actually about the queen, it was about the vampire list that anyway. So mm-hmm. Yeah, becoming a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the best worst movies I've ever seen. <sighs> yeah, one hundred percent. Who plays the queen? I forgot. It was like Aaliyah. Yeah, Aaliyah. Oh, that's right. She was so just good before in that. she died. Yeah, she yeah. was amazing. And do you know what? If I'm going to be honest, like the soundtrack was dope. It was amazing. Yeah. It's, it was so good. It, it is almost hypnotic watching that movie. I will watch that. It's such a bad movie, but I will watch it. I know. God, the, uh, the song that I think Jonathan Davis did for that movie is just, like you said, hypnotic. Like just that intro sign. No, no, no. It was Chester Bennington. No, it was, it was Jonathan Davis. It was Korn. Right. So he did... There, there was he did the music for the soundtrack for like the live performances, right? Yeah. And then on the actual soundtrack, there was a song that Chester Bennington did. Ooh. And that's the one that I'm thinking of that sounds super hip- hypnotic and. Oh, like, the one at the beginning when he wakes yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. Great. Now I want to listen to that soundtrack. Now I want to watch that dumb movie. <laughs> I know it's so bad. So wear hyenas is not something that I ever thought was a thing, and for, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I in my research about werewolves, I was I was reading it and I was like, great, this is just so Eurocentric. Blah, what about other places? Mm-hmm. And, was, and then it was like, oh, werecats are more common in Asiatic cultures and were jaguars in South America and were yes, hyenas there's in Africa. a really good book about were jaguars and I'm just now looking it up and I forgot what it's called. It's one of my favorite books when I was a teenager. Emily and I have talked about this, like going to the library and reading all these weird, weird books. But it's about uh, the Olmec and where dragwars. I can't find it. That sounds it's awesome. Cool book, yeah. It's really neat. So that was kind of a relief of me being like, okay, this is Eurocentric because it's mm-hmm. wolf based, and then there are other right. concepts in other places. Yeah, I mean, and then you know, native cultures in the Americas have. Uh, drastically different shape-shifting myths right yeah and then there was some there's some thought of importation of and then sort of adaptation of werewolf myths particularly french influence Mm -hmm. in both uh, caribbean islands and then in canada and Mm. and sort of northern uh, united states kind of thing yeah interesting i recently saw a short little video about the dialects of uh southern the united states and how it's easily traceable back to kind of like euro european origins like like the the creole accent flows mm-hmm. very easily into french right oh yeah 
and then even just like the the southern Alabama, Georgia, Texas accents, they can you can follow them all the way back to the the UK, mm-hmm. which is was really interesting. And that's why apparently a lot of uh, UK actors have an easy time of doing like Southern American accents. Because hmm. I don't know if you saw Knives Out, but Daniel Craig does a Southern accent and he does it fairly convincingly. Cool. And if you haven't seen Knives Out, I cannot stress this enough. Uh, it's probably the best whodunit mystery thriller of all time. Oh, I probably love really? it. Really? Yeah, it's super good. Oh, yeah. I was going to go to a movie and then no more movies. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> I, I, wanted to go see, I wanted to go see Emma. Uh-huh. And then I didn't go the day it came out. And then the next week I kept my kid home from daycare because there were coronavirus cases in the state. Yeah. But now you can watch Emma on TV. So. That's true. I can. And Knives Out is out on streaming as well. Awesome. I'd rather watch that. <laughs> yeah, no, I would I would definitely watch Knives Out. It was so good. It took me completely by surprise. I loved every minute of that movie because it, it just, it does so many things all at once and it does it so well. It, it basically kind of takes everything that you would expect from a mystery movie, employs it in the first 10, 15 minutes, and then you're like, well, shit, how are they going to do the rest of the movie now? <laughs> and then And then watching that movie throughout with that like, okay, but they already did this. Like, I don't, this is amazing. And then they do a lot of social commentary. They talk about like the hypocrisy of, you know, well-meaning wealthy white people in response to dealing with like, you know, their help, quote unquote. Uh, and it's just, it tip, they tiptoe around being racist while being racist. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's just so good. Your book would make such a good movie. Yeah, I, I write in a very visual way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you can actually tell where people are in a room and what's yeah. actually going on. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how familiar you are with, with theater terms, but I block mm-hmm. most scenes, right? I was on stage crew for, three, or for all four years of high school. Right, so yeah, you know blocking. <laughs> yeah, so I, w- I will actually like write out the blocking or I'll, I'll do it in my head because I did theater too when I was young. So that, I, that was the easiest part for me was to figure out how I'm going to move people around, right? And when my first short story that... Uh, I ever wrote I had to practice doing that with that first fight scene in the morgue right mm-hmm. so that was really really fun and then I just kind of I've gotten really good at doing that now. I have like this gigantic uh, packet of graphing paper that I will I, I will literally like blueprint entire buildings with it cool I did that I did that for the hotel I did that for you know the so Janice well, Headquarters. Yeah, the Sejanus headquarters and all that stuff. I did that forever. I do that for everything now. If I'm just like, okay, I don't know how the space looks in my head, so I'm just going to draw it now. I drew That's a really, a really goof- good idea. Yeah. I drew a really goofy stick figure map of my work in progress because I right, needed so to know where everything was. <laughs> yes, it's so important. And then once I have that, once I, it's weird because I don't actually have to go back to reference the image again. I have this, this. I think it just kind of comes down to practice, but like if I do this thing where if I draw it out, then it's in my head. Mm-hmm. And I like when you write something, then you remember it better. If I draw something out, then I can keep that picture in my head a lot more clearly. And so when I'm writing, I can just kind of refer to that mental image. and I don't have to go back to the piece of paper. Like I, I do most of my writing out and about in a coffee shop, but I do all of my, like when I draw stuff, I do it at home. 
but I, I just leave my thing, my, uh, my notepad, my drawings here. But when I'm out and about and I've drawn it, then I can be like, oh, okay, so I'm just going to move this person there. There's a sofa in this section, and then the door opens this way, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I have fun. never laid out a story like that, that, and the thinking of it is an interesting thing to me. That's, I've never done it like that. I always like kind of make an outline and where things are going and kind of have a drop down list of, of where I want it to go. I've never actually drawn it out. That's really fascinating. I'm yeah. going to try that and see what, yeah. see what happens. I, I don't do that for the whole plot, right? Um, mm -hmm. Just when I have to write a scene where there's a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. And the way that I plot is also not just a bullet point list like that like i use an excel spreadsheet to do it mm -hmm. i'm a very visual kinetic person so you know seeing and doing things is how i learn and how i do things best yeah and that that helps a lot when i'm writing when i'm trying to convey images right i think emily told me uh, that she wants all of the clothing that i talk about in my book <laughs> Oh yeah, it, it the IntelliFit clothing that like yeah molds to the shape and then like the oh this is a casual fit oh this is a tighter fit oh this is for athletics like mm -hmm. yes thank you that would be great mm -hmm. and then I have you know I, I spent a lot of time designing the dresses because <laughs> <laughs> I I just find dresses to be amazing things they're fun to I, wear but yeah, I imagine. I'm not really comfortable wearing them, so That's I just fine. kind of I just kind of live vicariously through people who wear dresses. That's so all I my to... kid will wear. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much all all I wear. All yeah, I my wear. daughter's my daughter doesn't wear dresses. She doesn't like them. They get in the way of her destructing destruction. <laughs> I used when I was a kid. It's probably TMI, but when I was a kid, I used to go into the like my bath. I would do like the soap bubbles. And I would cover myself in soap bubbles and then run around my, my mom's house and then mm -hmm. just try and scare people because I was a ghost. Oh, that's cute. The bubble ghost. Yeah, the bubble ghost. I was a bubble ghost. And so I would just run around. <laughs> <laughs> that's adorable. Yeah. Kids are so funny. Yeah. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. we're, so we're a hair off track, I'm going to say. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> That happens. Where Do you want me at? to just quickly go through like where we're we started and where we've ended up? Does that sound good to you guys? Yeah, I mean, with commentary, I don't need you to like sit while I lecture you. <laughs> I'm gonna be taking notes, so please make sure to speak thoroughly and enunciate clearly. Okay. <laughs> good, because there's a multiple choice quiz at the end, and Excellent. it is not pass fail. It will be graded on a curve. But anyways back on track so i had always heard uh from storytellers like people who study uh storytelling throughout the ages that the werewolf is very much um at least in the european cultures that the werewolf is kind of the personification of the wild and how it's going to eat you like if you venture too far into the woods so well, like a little red riding hood yeah and wolves were and in some places are again super dangerous in Europe specifically and it makes sense with where jaguars in South America and where hyenas because hyenas are actually much more dangerous than lions mm -hmm. and and more like physically power I think hyenas are amazing I have a lot That's of respect for them uh, but it was it was top tier predators mm -hmm. 
were the basis for a lot of shape-shifting myths for humans and uh like the wolf man and and wolf shape-shifting started in sort of the indo-european divide so like the caucasus mountains and around turkey and around the in you know uh, indian subcontinent and then it, it there's a beautiful uh gif on wikipedia oh i, I, see I could it. send it to you guys i can see it okay. i'm looking at it right now yeah the indo-european oh, migrations cool. gif and it shows you where the sort of I, we'll call it the mother culture in this area started migrating and a lot of it was military migration some of it i'm sure was fleeing plagues and whatnot uh, but it it explains a lot about how these ideas were spread because it's very patchwork there's mm -hmm. various terms for the concept in old english old norse old high german old frankish ancient greek slavic language slavic slavic languages baltic languages turkish etc germanic traditions seem to become like the major driver for these ideas but then because of indo-european military takeovers in a lot of places uh, the uh, concept would be different because there's a lot of connection between say like romanian indo-european military takeover meant that that idea their idea you know the the ideas that were the base of turning into a wolf mm -hmm. popped up in certain areas and then in certain areas it popped up independently so hmm. It also became a key component of Greek mythology and early Christianity, obviously, because they're negative about everything. Early Christians were not into werewolves being a positive thing. God, they were such buzzkills, man. Right? How did they get so many recruits? They were no fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. People... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We could go into a long tangent about that, too. If we we really could, and I, I just decided not to. <laughs> uh, violence and weapons and slavery is probably a lot of it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then there's, there were, like, a group of people in Scandinavia that moved to, like, Romania, but also kind of into Russia. And there's, like, not well documented. So there's, it's just a mishmash of who believed what and whether it was considered punitive or positive and then there were also certain like country leaders that were considered werewolves like harold the first of norway was considered a werewolf and that was a positive thing and then seslav of polstock good i don't know if i pronounced that correctly uh there's a lot of v's in their name uh Belarus was just, he was considered so speedy when he would run that he had to be a werewolf. Obviously. <laughs> so there was a split with Western Europe and Scandinavia and werewolfism, lycanthropy, that's the proper word. Werewolfism mm -hmm. is not a word. It yeah. is now. Yeah. Became more closely associated with witchcraft and there were actually in Scandinavia werewolf trials similar to witch trials there were also witch trials they had a lot of trials in scandinavia that don't get talked about it was a lot of um uh taking issue with indigenous peoples wanting to exist Shocker. surprise surprise yeah i'm worst we're, we're all staggered by this information mm -hmm. <laughs> but then any, yeah i mean who knew 
Who knew that white people would do such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Flimsy pretexts for land grabs. I've never heard of such a thing. Anyway, okay. I can only be so sarcastic. Mm-hmm. In Eastern Europe and Eurasia, it became more closely associated with revenants and vampires. And vampires being revenants and then werewolves being revenants kind of gets all mishmashed together at that point. And then that all gets exported after the 1750s to wherever people go. Because there's all kinds of wars and famines and, uh, you know, governmental collapses. So one thing that I was curious about, and I'm not sure that I'll ever find an answer, is how many bog bodies were werewolf suspects? Bog bodies? Like people dumped in bogs? Yeah. So it's a really common thing in certain boggy areas of Europe, particularly Western Europe, but not only Western Europe, for you to come across a very well-preserved body in a bog. And the Hmm. soft tissues get preserved and all the bones dissolve. And so they look mostly just like someone who's sleeping. So it's Hmm. a form of mummification. And all these people were just like murdered and then thrown into bogs. And it's probably, you know, how many were werewolves? They were usually people who were sort of like, cons- the, the theory is they were tried and convicted and murdered all in about 15 minutes and then just thrown oh. in a bog because it was considered like insulting, an insulting burial. Yeah, and okay. Lycanthropy accusations were used in that way to explain serial murders, cannibalism, etc., or to pin wolf attacks on people. So it was sort of a two-way street. Mm. of just using it against people yeah and this was also around when the moon became a component of werewolf 1400s maybe a little later and either the moon made you a werewolf or like it caused you werewolf issues with you or it helped catalyze the transformation it was different depending on where you were Mm. i feel like a lot of these myths are kind of like recipes where they're all kind of similar but they've all got like one different ingredient and somebody gets fancy and adds like chives or whatever and uh, (laughs) somebody gets fancy and adds some moonlight (laughs) and then everyone's like i like moonlight let's let's do the moonlight (laughs) (laughs) the pumpkin spice of so was it always tied to phases of the moon or was that a later addition so what i saw from phases of the moon was if you fell asleep outside on a wednesday or a friday under a full moon you would turn into a wolf i kind of wish that was true i mean (laughs) (laughs) i feel like there's worse ways to spend a wednesday evening (laughs) i i would agree uh and then if it was triggering you transforming you were already a werewolf but you were going to become like the wolf of the werewolf because where actually means man in old english i didn't know that i always wondered what the origin of where was but it means man Hmm. what's the uh what's the old english word for woman uh with whiffman oh whiff whiff wolf whiff wolf that would be rough to say that's a mouthful (laughs) and it just means wife with wolf with men with man became woman i'm glad it became woman so it's not with with yeah so you know women aren't defined by 
marital status. Yeah. So <laughs> this was also around when like lycanthropy became, people were considering it more of like a brain disorder to consider yourself uh, somebody who turned into a wolf. And then uh, Victor mentioned this when we were talking about recording this, but like the connection between porphyria or untreated porphyria mm -hmm. and yeah. lycanthropy. And it's likely to be a more modern association because the earliest werewolf myths, including morphing entirely into a wolf and porphyria had like signs of werewolf behavior, but it was as a human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But recent werewolf mythology also includes a lot of humanoid features. Even and a lot of it is considered fiction, but I guarantee there are people that believe in werewolves. I believe in werewolves. There you go. I was right in my guarantee. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, I just wish they were real. I, I, I so my I have always had a fascination with the whole idea of immortality and and shape shifting. I mean, it's it's been such a driving, like. Well, I won't say driving force, but it's it's more of a narrative that I actively seek, right? So when I was really young, I loved the idea of werewolves and vampires and 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 people that can shapeshift. Um, and a lot of that, I think, just had to do with a lot of the things that I was experiencing as a kid, where I just wanted to be someone or something else, right? Mm. So, um, and now as an adult, I just kind of was like, man, it would be so cool if I could deadlift seven thousand pounds without trying too hard. <laughs> um but it's true like if if you were to pitch to me hey victor watch this show it's about an immortal dude who's a detective and i'm gonna say okay i am 100 percent going to do that by the way the show is called new amsterdam uh and it stars nikolai coster waldo who played jamie oh. lannister anyway uh and that was a fun show that was canceled too soon and now there's a new show called new amsterdam that's exactly the same thing but he's a medical examiner and less good Ugh, that sounds ugh, medical examiner yeah shows are boring uh, yeah sorry i think medical exam examinations are really interesting i actually wanted to be a medical examiner but i didn't think i could hack med school but that's part of why I, well and i graduated from college in 2008 mm. when the entire global everything collapsed yeah I feel really That's, bad for college students right now. I know exactly yeah. what their next 10 years are going to look like. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a not a pretty picture. It looks like cutting your own hair. <laughs> You're so broke. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yep. Take heed, kids. There are a lot of YouTube videos about it and it, you know, it's not so bad. No. What cutting your own hair? Yeah. That's where I got here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. YouTube videos are good. Yeah. They are. I have a friend of mine who's going to make a video tutorial on how I can cut my own hair so that I don't come out looking like Britney Spears. Awesome. But what what year was that that she had that? Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. All right. She was the precursor to the financial collapse. She really was. <laughs> Britney knew. Britney did know. Ah. Oh. Bless Britney Spears. Yep. You know, I did a decent amount of looking into a kind of werewolf mythos, but I did most of it on recent history and mostly mm -hmm. just kind of like modern um, fiction tropes versus the actual origin. So this has been really quite enlightening and it's given me a lot of really good ideas, actually. Cool. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of things moving forward that 
I had kind of like mm, wisps of a thought of an idea of something that I could do creatively with other um, characters from different parts of the world. And having all of this is actually really quite helpful. I was going to do this research eventually anyway. So, well, it's right here. Me the favor. <laughs> and I cited the sources, which Excellent. are all Wikipedia based, but mm-hmm. they cite their sources. Yeah. And you can uh, always just go to those sources anyway. Yeah. I did a, yeah. And I actually talked to someone who was Ojibwe about um, their kind of shape-shifting things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of, I've mentioned the one that most people know. And she's like, yeah, uh, if you're not this culture, don't use that name. So I was like, okay, well, I, I will not mention it at all. <laughs> and that's, that's fabulous that you did that because, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even know that, like, Ojibwe is a thing. They're just like, oh, Cherokee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not quite. <laughs> yeah not even close yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. No. and then she she told me a lot about um that the moon is is really quite a uh a powerful figure in their mythology and mm-hmm. religion so it was really kind of cool it all just kind of coalesced really quite well especially with uh my character nokomis who is ojibwe right mm-hmm. in the book so that was that was a really cool cool piece of that and it was so yeah that it was really cool talking with someone who could actually give me, you know, first, what do they call it? Primary source material. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone, well, that I would know of that mm-hmm. are Ojibwe themselves. Yeah. So that would be really an interesting conversation. I got, Definitely. I really lucked out. She was also a professor at the UW. So. Oh, know, cool. Got, yeah. So she, and she actually taught a lot of this kind of like, cultural kind of colonial like re-education stuff when it comes to um what the history books will teach you so it was it was really awesome getting to talk to her about this kind of stuff and hopefully i was respectful enough to them with my character that you know if someone who is ojibwe reads it doesn't get like super angry with me yeah so yeah that was really cool and then i have always really just enjoyed werewolves in general i've always found them to be more interesting than vampires for the last decade or so cutting out i mean ignoring my teenage years so vampires to me you're never gonna see an ugly unless it's nosferatu you're never gonna see an ugly or a fat vampire ever so i've always kind of you will in my book <laughs> I've always kind of lumped them into like the ruling class kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, super yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah, the aristocracy, right? They, they are. They have always kind of been to me the uh, the epitome of the aristocracy. And I guess as mm-hmm. a as I've grown older, I have become more and more uh, disenchanted with the idea of aristocracy in general, or that just kind of wealth and privilege. So werewolves are kind of way cooler to me now, anyway werewolves are cool and if i had to choose between the two i would choose werewolf and i think i've always been that way yeah um but if i didn't have to choose like if i had a choice i would choose to be a witch and i've been that way since i was like eight like when i was asked when i was a little kid what are you going to be when you grow up that's what i would say gotcha (laughs) that's That's a good answer yeah so the way you feel about werewolves i get like i feel the same way about like witches and witch lore and fun stuff like that have you ever watched like the um uh the vampire diaries and the associated spinoffs not really no so i've not watched the vampire diaries but i have watched um 
the originals and legacies and they do they have a, a lot of witches that are kind of front and center with that whole thing like i don't know what it was like in the vampire diaries but in the originals they kind of incorporated everything they, they got vampires they got werewolves they got witches and from all sorts of uh backgrounds ethnicities and sexualities it's this really really cool series of shows even though it is cwya kind of thing they're um, going off the rails on CW. They will do anything. <laughs> it's amazing. It's pretty great. Like, I mean, Legacies I really enjoyed, even if, you know, the dialogue makes me cringe sometimes. But I, I do very much enjoy the fact that they are bringing so much more representation to their shows. And so I would, like, if you want to get, like, a good junk food show, watch the originals. I, I watched it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, you got Black Vampires. You have, you know... Mexican witches and stuff like it's just so it's such a cool show it was really fun and then it kind of jumps the shark towards the later seasons as most things do but it's a fun watch in your notes Emily you talked about hypertrichosis and the only thing I know about hypertrichosis is those people that were on the in the freak show that mm-hmm. traveled with Jim Rick Rose Jim Rick Rose I think he had some he had a guy that was like the wolfman guy and then didn't he marry a woman who with hypertrichosis too mm-hmm. or something like that and they had a family mm-hmm. yeah uh that was posited as a component of werewolf mythology but it's really rare it is so rare i can't see that it would be something like that it could be considered a sign of lycanthropy though was mm-hmm. my sort of conclusion yeah and then in wikipedia it said the down syndrome might have been considered a component of like considered a sign of lycanthropy but i don't understand how that makes any sense so yeah i don't either i when i saw that i thought what yeah that's why i put a question mark in the notes because it didn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense no so if anybody has an explanation as to why that's in the wikipedia article about werewolves other than we've been kind of terrible not kind of we've been pretty terrible to people with uh, mental health uh, issues and and disabilities. Yeah. So uh, throughout history, randomly blaming them on demons and whatever else. So. And I guess werewolves. And I guess werewolves. That doesn't make any sense. Though. No, it doesn't. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't know either. Victor, where can we buy your book? You can buy my book um, pretty much wherever uh, all major retailers: uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And it's up for pre-sale right now as both paperback and digital. And then if you also wanted to visit my website, there are links to the buy page on there at welcometogalilee.com. And then you'll also get to my Patreon from there as well. Yeah, and I subscribe to Victor's Patreon and he releases short stories regularly and they're a lot of fun to read. They are. Because Evelyn is dope. (laughs) So, yeah, we will put all the links to all of victor's information so you can read this kick-ass book when it comes out april 22 yay yay 